Hope you guys are doing well this morning. My name is Stephen Montgomery. I'm the lead pastor here at Austin Chapel. Welcome to Chapel. We're glad that you're here. Um, is it a little bit loud, this mic, or is it okay? Sounds a little loud to me. Okay, all right. Well, today we are starting a new series titled Animal Encounters. Sorry that we don't have any slides this week. We tried something new with AV. It didn't work out. And by the time it didn't work out, it was too late to switch back. So no slides today. So if you do have your Bibles, there are some here beside you. You can use your phone whatever you like. We are going to be in Numbers 21 and John 3. Numbers 21 and John 3 will be our text for today. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this series. Heavenly Father, um, I need your Holy Spirit right now, Lord. Uh, Frustrating morning with sound and tech and all that kind of stuff, Lord. But ultimately, Lord, we know that um, you don't need any of that to minister to our hearts, God. You don't need any of our slides or anything like that, Lord. We just need your Holy Spirit and your Word, and we've got that. And so, Lord, I pray that your Spirit empowers me and speaks through me during this message, that your Word um, just comes alive as we read it, and that your Spirit would speak to each and every person's heart here today beyond what my words can say, Lord, in a real and impactful way to each person uh, personally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're in this summer series. It's going to be a six-week series uh, titled Animal Encounters, right? I bet you didn't think you were going to come into church and hear about a bunch of animals for six weeks, but is exactly what you're going to hear. Um, so today's sermon title is Snakes on a Plane. I have never actually seen that movie, but the title of the movie and the trailer back in whatever, 2006 or however long ago it was, were memorable enough for me to think about it when writing the sermon. So the title of the sermon is Snakes on a Plane. Now, this series, we're going to be looking at different animal encounters that happen in Scripture and certain um, truths we can learn from them. And so this week, we're obviously talking about some snakes. So if you're at Numbers 21, if you got your Bibles, we're going to begin in verse 4. So this is, uh, Numbers is when the Israelites are still in the desert. They've been <laughs> freed from Egypt. They're making their way to the promised land. And um, we're going to pick up here and start in Numbers um, 21, verse 4. From Mount Horn, they sent out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Um, Did you notice they said there is no food and no water, but then they said, but we loathe this food, this worthless food. Uh, This is like opening up the pantry. Like I do this pretty often and Melissa gets frustrated with me. I open up the pantry and I go, there's no food in here. It's literally full. Right. And what I really mean is there's no salt and vinegar chips. (laughs) Right. That's what I really mean. Uh, God has actually been miraculously providing manna and quail. Okay, and he's been miraculously providing water from rocks. Okay, so this is the context here. God has been providing them, uh, providing for them in a place that there was no 
food and there was no water, but he is being miraculously giving it to them. But they're sick of the worthless food, the worthless food from heaven. Like they're, they're like, they're so unappreciative that they're saying the food, the miracle food. Yeah, we're sick of it. We want to go back and be slaves in Egypt where we had a variety of food. Uh, so they're being, well, they're, they're complaining against God. They're complaining against Moses, but more than that, they're just not showing God thankfulness. They're not appreciating the miracles he was providing for them. Uh, so what they're saying is, is their complaint is not valid or true. Um, then the Lord sent fiery serpents, fiery serpents. Okay. So this is, Fiery implies probably poisonous serpents among the people. And they bit the people so that many of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Pretty interesting, right? So uh, Jewish scribes to this day don't know what this is about. Like this is the weirdest passage. Why in the world would God have him put a bronze serpent on a pole uh, this is weird. We don't get it. Why would it heal them? This whole thing is kind of weird. Like, what's weird, not weird to them, is judgment. Like, they understand judgment. Like, God was like, okay, you don't want to be thankful for the food I'm going to give you, so I'm going to send some snakes that are going to bite you, and they're poisonous snakes, and they're going to kill you. They get that part. They don't understand why a bronze serpent on a pole would heal them. It seems weird to them. And to this day, if you talk to uh, Jewish scribes, they don't get it. They have no explanation for this. Um, but as a believer, as a Christian, we actually have a really good explanation for why this is. And Jesus even talks about this in John chapter 3. Um, so let's go ahead and we're going we're gonna to go to John chapter 3. Now we're going to read this in, in entire portion and we're going to see that Jesus uses this as a beautiful image for what he, his work was and what he would do. And it's in arguably one of the most famous passages of all of scripture, John 3. And you think of John three sixteen. It's in this same passage he refers to this snake that was this bronze snake that was on a pole. So we'll start in verse one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This means that he was most likely a part of the Sanhedrin. So he is he's a he's a Pharisee and he's a ruler of the Jews. This means that he's a part of the Sanhedrin. He is of the most influential religious group there is. They really are the head honchos of the Jewish faith. And so this guy's got some status. And um, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, right there we notice that this man, even though he's a part of the Sanhedrin, he's a ruler of Israel, he's a ruler of the Jewish faith, and he comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, right? Most of the other Pharisees would not say that. They would not call Jesus a rabbi. Um, but he is coming at night, so maybe he's trying to be secretive. Maybe he doesn't want his buddies to know that he's coming to Jesus, to, to ask Jesus some questions, some sincere questions. Um, but he is saying to Jesus, Rabbi. So he's approaching Jesus humbly, saying, Teacher, teach me, is what he's saying. Even though he himself is a teacher, and, and uh, even of the Sanhedrin. 
He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. That's a powerful statement. He's recognizing that he's a teacher and that he came from God. Um, For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He's like, this doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? He's not seeing the spiritual application. He's simply thinking of it in physical terms. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel? Really interesting that he says, are you the teacher of Israel? So what we're finding from that statement is that he may not only just be part of the Sanhedrin, he might actually be the main teacher of the Sanhedrin. He may be the most influential teacher in all of Israel. This man right here, he is the, Jesus is referring to him as the teacher of Israel. He's saying, how are you the most influential spiritual person in all of the country and you don't understand this? And yet you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from um, heaven. And the Son of Man, as it As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So we have the most famous verse in all of Scripture, John 3.16. But before Jesus gives us that truth, he says, just like the serpent was raised up in the Old Testament, just like it was raised up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, speaking of himself, so must I be lifted up that whoever would look to me and believe in me would have forgiveness for their sins and receive eternal life. So Jesus saying right here that that serpent represents him, right? So a bronze serpent, bronze in the Old Testament represents judgment. They would sacrifice animals in the tabernacle on a bronze altar, and that represented judgment. So it's a bronze serpent representing judgment, a serpent representing sin. In Second Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin had to become sin. And so Jesus is saying the serpent represents him becoming sin and it's bronze because he's taking on our judgment he's taking on the judgment for sin and it's a wood pole just like the cross 
Right, So it's representing the cross and the work he would do on the cross. And so when they looked to the serpent and they were healed of their poisonous venom bites, that was representative of how we, when we look unto Jesus, can be healed from our sin. We can be forgiven from our sin. We can be made a new creation. We can be born again. Do you see what I'm saying here? Jesus is telling us that it is so vital for us to look unto him. And when we do that, we become something new altogether. We're not just healed. We are a new creature. We are born again. I find that passage um, fairly fascinating. Um, I titled it Snakes on a Plane, P-L-A-I-N, right? Because they were leaving the mountain in a valley. Or you could say a plane, and it was snakes on a plane, now, snakes are interesting creatures. Um, have any of you have ever had a run-in with a snake? Like, a, has anybody been bit by a snake? You been bit by a snake? How'd that feel? You were two, so I don't really remember. I'm taking it wasn't like a deadly poison snake. It was a copper. Okay. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, so, five million people are bit by snakes each year. 100,000 people die from snakes each year. Another 400,000 are either disabled or seriously disfigured, such as amputations or paralyzations from snakes. They're they're the most threatening, venomous animal. They're also creepy looking, and most people hate them, right? And if you have a friend who has a snake, you kind of like wonder about them. (laughs) Uh, Like one of my... Best friends back in the day, like, his girlfriend had a snake. And, like, I was always like, I don't know about her, dude. (laughs) No, she was awesome. It was fine. Uh, But, you know, they're like a creepy animal. She actually ended up getting rid of the snake because it kept, like, trying to constrict on her arm. Uh, They're they're weird animals. They're creepy. There's something in most people that, like, ah, they're icky. I don't like it. Uh, You know? Um, Like, I personally really do not like snakes. I wouldn't really want to hold one. Um... You do have those churches that, like, hold snakes, right? And they, they take that from Mark 16, where in, after the Great Commission, Jesus says that they will be able to hold on to snakes and drink deadly poison. And so uh, they're not actually cults. Like, I was reading into it. There's, there's churches in the Appalachians that just a part of their worship service, like, the pastor will pick up a snake. And, like, I looked into their doctrine. It's not that bad. He's just taking, like, Mark 16, like, really literally and incorporating snakes into worship. Like, Jesus said we would hold snakes, so let's hold snakes. And... They would hold, like, uh, rattlesnakes, and if they got bit, they would just pray, and apparently, like, they don't die, but (laughs) whatever. Uh, I don't know that they're a cult. They're just weird. Uh, I was thinking about bringing a snake in today. (laughs) I was like, bring a snake in, I could hold it, but I don't want to hold a snake. Like, so snakes kill a lot of people a year. They seriously harm a lot of people every year. Some snakes, will their venom will kill you in 30 minutes. Some can strike faster than you can bleak, blink, bleak, uh, blink, and some can slither faster than you can run. And some have enough venom in one bite to kill 100 grown men. Snakes are dangerous animals, at least the poisonous ones. Um, and most of us take snakes specifically poisonous snakes, snakes very seriously, don't we? Like if you saw a poisonous snake, 
you're not going to like play with it, right? Hopefully, unless you're crocodile, you know, <laughs> the crocodile hunter or something like that. Uh, but you know, we take it seriously because we see the damage that they can do. We see it as a threat and we run away from it. And snakes in scripture most often represent sin. And I believe it's so important for us to view sin that way. Do we view sin as deadly and dangerous with the ability to kill us or seriously harm us? The Bible says that the penalty for sin is death. Death exists because of sin. The Bible often talks about how sin leads to death both physically and spiritually. And we should take sin seriously. It's not something to be played with. It's something to run away from. Right? Just as you would run away from a deadly snake. You know, there are um, a few different types of venom, but basically most snakes, what the venom does is it either attacks your um, blood system, your circulatory system, or your nervous system. It basically attacks your heart or your head. Right? Your brain. And I was thinking about that, and that's exactly what sin does. It attacks you on an emotional level and on a mental level. And when you're participating in sin and sin's drawing you away or you're involved in in certain sins, what does it do? It attacks you emotionally and mentally. it, it, It harms the way you think and it harms the way you feel. It attacks your heart and your mind. We should take it seriously. What we need for the problem of sin is an anti-venom, right? Just like you need an anti-venom for a snake bite. Now, you can't suck out you can't suck out the poison from a bite. It's a myth. I was reading about it. You can't suck it out. Um, there are natural remedies that only slow down the effect, and keeping your heart rate low or movement low will only delay the symptoms. Um, if you're running, you're gonna, the sy- symptoms are going to occur faster. But there's really nothing you can do without the antivenom. Similar to how in the wilderness, when they were bit by the fiery serpents, they would die unless they looked upon <coughs> the bronze serpent on a pole representing Jesus, the antivenom. Now we need an antivenom in Africa right now, they are so many people die from snake bites. They are working on an antivenom that would work for all snakes in Africa. They have not been able to develop it yet. Right now, you need a specific antivenom for a specific venom. Right, so you got to know what type of snake bit you, and then use that one to heal you. Um, they're working on one that would heal all of them. However, they have not been able to do that yet. But the good news is that Jesus is the antivenom for all sin. All sin. It doesn't matter what, what your past is. It doesn't matter what you have done. Jesus is the healing uh, need that you have. He is the anti-venom for whatever sin is in your life. Amen? We must look unto Jesus for healing just as the Israelites looked upon this serpent that represented Jesus. My third point is, is that we, we have to continue to look upon Jesus. In Numbers 21, it says that they 
continually. Like if they, if anyone was bit, implying that if they got bit again or somebody later on was bit, they would go back and look at that pole again. They would look at that serpent again and be healed. Um, we are saved when we, we confess that He is our Lord and Savior and we put our trust and our faith in Jesus Christ. We are, we're saved. You're eternally justified, the Bible says. That you have been made right in your standing before God. However, sin creeps back in, doesn't it? We, as weak humans, chain ourselves back up to sin, don't we? We've been freed, but we willfully go back to certain things. What's the cure for that? It's to continually look to Jesus. There are legends of how you would look into a snake's eyes and it could hypnotize you. And you see this all the, t- all the time in like old cartoon movies, right? You have a snake that hypnotizes the person and then, you know, kills them or whatever. Uh, they don't really have the ability to hypnotize their prey. But snakes do stare in a very like intriguing manner um, that their prey will oftentimes get caught looking eye to eye to them. And the snake's just holding completely still, and they attack so fast you don't expect it. Their whole point of staring is to get your attention so you'll slow down. Uh, And they'll stare you down. And I was thinking about that, and we just need to lock eyes with Jesus, right? If he's the serpent, he's the one that took our sin. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could become righteous. So we just got to lock eyes with Jesus, we got to do that whole awkward keep eye contact for longer than is comfortable thing. Right? You ever like at dinner with somebody or something and like they hold eye contact way longer than you're comfortable with? <laughs> right? Maybe you're that person. So you're like, what are you talking about? I never break <laughs> eye contact. <laughs> right? There are those people that like, like the average person, like you hold eye contact and like you look away, you look at your food and then look around the room then make eye contact again, uh-huh, yeah, and then you eat your food. And, but there are those people that you talk to that just won't break eye contact. <laughs> like they're so intense about it. But we need to be that way with our eye contact with Jesus. We need to just lock our eyes on him and not look away because sin will creep up there is, there is temptation all around the world, but when our eyes are fixed upon Jesus, we will have the ability, because He gives us that ability, He gives us His grace, His strength, His power, His Spirit as our helper, to defeat the sin around us. That we would no longer be slaves to it anymore. So when our eyes are focused in on Jesus, He will free us from all of the sin that tries so hard to make its way back into your life. We need more and more of Jesus. When I uh, lived in Africa, I lived in Africa. Uh, my parents were missionaries all over the world uh, while I was the ages between 3 and 14. And we lived a, a good deal of time in Kenya. And one time we were in Kenya, we were going out of town. And uh, when we came back in town, we had this like ritual of like checking everything in the house because the house we had was like, not really insulated or like it wasn't a mud hut but it was basically a concrete version of that almost uh and so snakes bugs whatever could get inside your house pretty easily even if you had the doors and windows closed and so we just have this routine where we'd kind of check everything basically killing bugs for an hour right and uh 
My brother, he goes downstairs into, there's a bathroom down there, and he walks, apparently walks right by a black mamba, and then walks right back. And this, it's a fairly thin bathroom. And black mambas are the fastest striking snake, and they're the fastest snake in the world. Um, they're extremely quick. Um, if you're anywhere close to a, a black mamba, you're going to get struck uh, most often. And where we were living was fairly rural, and there, he probably would have died if he had been bit. Um, there's some legends about like sticking, like a like holding a fork and sticking it into an electrical socket, and that would it's a myth, of course, <laughs> because it it attacks the nervous system. The black mama does, and so if you can shock, you can shock the venom out of it. Apparently, <laughs> like I was convinced that that would work when I was a kid. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I'm a scientist. Like, and my mom would tell me it's a myth. Like, it's not real. And I was like, no, it must work. <laughs> like, because, like, in my mind, I was always like, if I get big I'm a bit, I need a way to live. Like, <laughs> so I'm going to go stick a fork in a socket. Anyway, so he walks back by it. He walks by this snake two times without being bit. And then we see the snake in the bathroom. We're like, you were just in here with this snake. And he's like, I didn't even realize. And anyways, we... we uh, we had a guy who did some security and some stuff, and he came over and chopped the head off the No, he didn't actually chop the head off. He just kind of whacked at it and then grabbed it and threw it in a fire, and we heard it freaking out in the fire. It was pretty cool. Uh, also, another time in Kenya, we were my dad and I were walking out to this one village that was extremely rural, and uh, we're walking a long time in this grass field, and we're walking on a trail that's, you know, about two feet wide where everybody walks through. And all of a sudden we see another trail going across about one foot wide. And they're like, oh, yeah, that, that must be new. That wasn't here earlier. <laughs> uh, they're like, yeah, that's just probably a, a very large python. It appeared to be about a foot wide. Um, and a few other times there we saw snakes. Um, even in Texas you have run-ins with rattlesnakes sometimes and um, snakes are around. I'm just talking about snakes for a while. Because uh, I have time. <laughs> the thing is, snakes are freaky. And I've had a few run-ins with snakes. Fortunately, I've never been bit like Lizzie was. Um, the thing is, in my life, my experiences with snakes have only caused me to realize how serious I should take them. And I don't know about you, if you're a believer here in this room and you think back to the sin that is in your life or was in your life, do you take it seriously? Do you really see the harm that it did in your life? The thing is, it's hard to repent and turn if you don't really see the damage it did. I remember a friend of mine, he met him at Bible college, and he, his first semester of Bible college, it was both of our first semesters, and he had, three months prior, had been a heroin addict. And he was in his van working at a campsite, and he lived in his, his VW van. He was a surfer, heroin addict, kind of worked at a campground. And he f- was cleaning out his van, van, and he found the Bible his mom gave him. And he read the Bible, um, he just read and read for hours, and then he felt convicted and quit heroin right then and there and laid in his van for three days going through the withdrawals, which is pretty intense. He said he didn't eat and drink. He just laid there shaking until it went away. 
And then he called his mom and said, hey, I remember that Bible school you used to talk about, can I go? And so they paid for him to go. And he's like, I just got to get away. I want to learn about more about Jesus. And so very awesome guy. Um, but I remember he was uh, actually, we were both in Austin um, for a short period of time. And we were talking to another guy who also was a former addict, um, heroin addict, and they were talking about it. And the guy was kind of talking about how fun it used to be. And I remember my friend afterwards, like, he's like, I'm really worried about that guy. He's like, because he's, he's going to relapse because he's like, if that's how he remembers it, he remembers it wrong. You know what I mean? And how we remember sin, how we view sin is so important. Do you remember the danger, the pain, the sorrow that it caused? Because if you just think on the fun part, you're going to go back to it. But if you remember the pain, the sorrow, the danger, the death that it brings into life, you really start to go, no, i got to run away from that. And he remembers, he remembers, I remember him telling me, you got to be careful with that guy. He's going to relapse because his memory of it is all screwed up. He's like, because I remember heroin. He's like, and he's like, it wasn't fun. <laughs> he's like, it wasn't fun. It was the worst times of my life. Um, and it was only causing damage in my family, in my personal life, in my, it, with my brain. He's like, it was horrible, you know? And he's like, I would never go back and never think about it fondly. Um, and I think that we, if we're not careful as, as believers, we can remember sin kind of fondly, right? Just kind of miss it a little bit. And the way we need to view sin is, is as a deadly, poisonous viper that we do everything we can to stay away from. And Jesus ultimately died for our sin. That he became sin. Can you imagine that? He never sinned. He is God. He's a part of the triune God. And he comes to earth and he becomes sin on our behalf, taking our judgment, our punishment, the burden of sin. He dies on the cross and he raises again, offering us eternal life, newness of life, and forgiveness for all of it. So we have Jesus Christ as our Savior, as our anti-venom, to just look upon him and be healed, and we have to just lock eyes with him and continually look to him so those old things of old don't creep up. Today we'll be part, uh, partaking of communion. Communion, Jesus gave us the night before his death. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. The bread representing his body that was broken and the, the cup representing his blood that was shed for us. And he said to do this in remembrance of him. Today, I want you to partake of communion, remembering what he really freed you from. Remembering how devastating life as a slave to sin really was. Because freedom is only as good as you remember slavery being bad, right? You can't appreciate the freedom that Christ gives us if you don't remember how bad the slavery to sin was. The Israelites made that mistake in the, 
in the wilderness, they remembered Egypt fondly, even though they were slaves, they were beaten, they were often killed, but they just because of their hungry bellies remembered it fondly. And the sin has that kind of hold where it gets you to forget all of the bad parts and just think on the one good thing. So it's important that we really, truly remember how bad sin is so that we can truly appreciate what Jesus has done for us. And that's what communion is about, to remember that his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us because sin was that serious. That God had to send his only begotten son to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son. Lord, you made a way for us so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be restored, Lord, so that we could be born again, that we could become a new creation so that we could have perfect relationship with you through your Son and through your Holy Spirit, Lord. God, as we sing these songs, I pray that we would come and and partake of the communion, partake of the cup and the bread, and remember what you have truly freed us from, that we wouldn't take it lightly, that we wouldn't remember sin fondly, but we would see it for what it really is and appreciate the work that you have done. In Jesus' name I pray.